need something to change? Say what you will do and say what you won't do, but don't put them out of your heart. This is Appropriate Assertiveness. It's skill number four from the book Everyone Can Win about handling conflict constructively. Appropriate assertiveness is a careful balance between respect for yourself and respect for the other person. We all have the right to ask for our needs to be met. Well, we won't always get what we want, but it's absolutely fine to raise it. Assertiveness is being skilled in how we express our needs, our feelings and our perspectives. And we do so proactively, not reactively. So let's do it. You'll know it's worked if you've respected yourself enough to express how it is for you and you've been respectful of the other person. Assertive is not passive and it's not aggressive. You'll know you haven't been assertive if afterwards you say to yourself, oh, if only I'd said, or I wish I hadn't. Of course, sometimes there'll be issues where it's safer, wiser, or just best to leave alone. Clearly deciding that it's not appropriate at this time, that's part of assertiveness. However, if you're always saying, better not, it's not wise, or it's not safe, you are probably avoiding. Perhaps you're scared of making things worse, or anxious about damaging the relationship. Upgrading your skills of appropriate assertiveness can really help. So, assertiveness. Time to think about your personal history. As a child, did you have to fight for your rights with perhaps quarrelsome brothers and sisters? Perhaps you learnt that demanding louder or longer got you your way. Were you criticised or ridiculed for speaking up? Were you told not to feel what you felt? Maybe you learnt that you shouldn't have personal needs because it upset a very delicate balance in your family. And now? Are you silent on what you want or how you deserve to be treated? Do you avoid raising issues because you don't know how to say things well? Uncomfortable about setting limits on other people? For example, in their use of your time? Do you do too much yourself because it just feels too hard to delegate? Or perhaps you're the opposite. You can lay down the law just fine, but then you find that other people seem to react badly. When we feel threatened, adrenaline launches us into a fight, flight or freeze and we'll attack, defend or withdraw all in order to stay safe. We need to shift our state, centre ourselves. That's mentally, emotionally and physically. Take charge of our emotions and move towards clear thinking and calm action. We want to be responsive, not reactive. Assertiveness is not an impulse. It takes planning because we want to invoke a response, not a reaction from the other person. Our aim? to honour our needs and viewpoints and make the situation better, not worse. Here's a checklist. Respect yourself. Respect the rights and the needs of others. Say how it is for you, not how it is for the other person. Let them speak for themselves. 
respond early to clues that something needs addressing and aim for a constructive conversation. There isn't a guarantee that you'll get what you want, so try to let go of demanding a particular outcome. Just state your needs. Examine what need of yours you want to have met and then be open to a number of ways of achieving that. What's your intention? Is it without blame? Are you centred? Are you using a collaborative approach? And most importantly, underneath your assertive statement, are you operating out of a fundamental goodwill towards the other person? That's because you're after a successful two-way communication. Having told them how things stand for you, you'll want to know what they think. Find the opportunity to switch from talking to listening. Inquire about their needs. Listen. Check your understanding, implying, I want to be satisfied, and I want you to be satisfied too. You want to make space for them to say no without damaging the relationship. So avoid telling them what they should do. If you have to clarify your limits, that's best done well before resentment or stress boils over. Say no or set your boundary politely but firmly. They may not see their behaviour as a problem at all, so you might have to stand your ground. But it helps to be clear sometimes about what you're not saying as well. Like, I'm not saying you're a bad mum. I'm not saying you don't have the right. I'm just hoping that in this situation, we have the problem. We want the change. When we're using assertiveness appropriately, we'll want proactive rather than reactive language. We're careful about how we address the issues that we're raising. We're monitoring what we're saying before we speak out. And even in the heat of the moment, we sound respectful. We make it very hard for others to challenge what we say because we're talking about our needs and we're entitled to those. Also, we're steering the conversation towards the positive. With these principles in mind, we might want to reframe what we were about to say. When we're asking for a change, we don't want them defensive. So before it pops out all wrong, think of a better way to say it. Instead of blaming, just say your side. I need the information on time. Don't generalise. Weed out always, never, or you keep on doing. And by the way, you can't assume that you know their attitudes or their motives. You don't know they ignored you. You do know you want to feel heard. Find neutral descriptions. No one likes being judged. And don't blame people for what they can't change. Focus on what they can. Your assertive statement invites them to respond, invites them into a positive conversation. So stick to neutral, specific facts. When, where, what did you actually see, not what you interpreted. There's no value in triggering their opposition. If they're not defensive, they're more likely to listen. Deliver a clean statement with no hidden judgments. And be clear. You might be thinking, oh, this report's totally unprofessional. But pause and find a neutral description instead. Perhaps. This report has no charts or statistics. Not, your report is too long. Perhaps suggest, could you get all the key facts into the first two pages? And hey, you shouldn't be long-winded either. You want them to remember what you said later and not lose the point. 
So hang on to this rule when you need to be assertive. What you say should be clean, clear and concise. And there's more. Reframe your demands into an invitation. So, you'll have to, or you should, or stop being a pest, can be switched to, how would it be if, would you be able to find something else to do until I've finished? And then check that out with them. Say what you can do, rather than say what you can't. Rather than, I can't see you now, try... I can see you at 3pm, will that work for you? Switch those grumpy negatives to a calmer positive whenever you can. And include the objection rather than oppose with it. For example, you can't do that, John would be offended, could be said as, what do you think we can do that won't offend John? Or, that's a great idea, but it's too expensive. Becomes, I like that idea, and I'm wondering about the expense. Include the other person's point of view in what you're contemplating together, and especially when it appears to be quite opposite to your own. It's the factor to be worked with rather than against. And not but is a very useful rule of thumb. And then allow discussion so that a totally new option has a chance to emerge, one that better addresses all of the issues involved. When we dictate solutions, it ultimately backfires. Can we turn the problem into a positive opportunity? So this storage system is terrible becomes let's design a better storage system. Framing it as a creative challenge transforms it into something that you can work on together. It's proactive. And lastly, discuss the future and not the past. Not I've told you a thousand times. Instead, from now on, Work towards changes in the future rather than hammering away at past mistakes. So, to reframe your assertive conversation, you'll want it clean and clear and reasonably concise. You include all the factors, not just the ones that suit your case, and you offer an invitation to future change. At first, you're going to have to think quite hard before you speak, but after a while, these principles will flow naturally. Act early on discomforts. So if a situation's making you uncomfortable, pay attention and don't just push it aside. Trust your intuition. How and where can you begin to address the issue? And set the scene for a good conversation. For example, is there anything we need to discuss before the meeting so that it will all flow smoothly? I know we've agreed to the plan, but it's not sitting well with me. I think I need to renegotiate. Such statements sound simple, but they take a bit of thought beforehand. On the surface, they hardly seem assertive, but a prompt proactive response to a niggling concern will avoid bigger problems down the track. Value your own opinions and be willing to share them. Assertive people make it safe for everyone, including themselves, to add to the pool of shared meaning. They value each person's unique perspective, including their own. So if they're seeing it differently, they may well speak up. And even when the other person is pushing their point hard, they'll add their own. They do it respectfully. They're quite aware that everyone is contributing to the whole. They might start off with, Here's what I think, or 
I'm concerned by or I respect or appreciate your view. And the way I see it is then they get feedback and they encourage the conversation to continue. And if they do it well, the other person will often soften or broaden their outlook at least a bit. Of course, sometimes silence is the best communication, not agreeing, but not actually voicing your disagreement. Silence sometimes speaks more effectively than words. Just don't overdo it. When you need someone's behaviour to change, or when one of you is defensive or angry, you will need to speak up. There's a handy formula called an I statement. It sets you up with a structure for how to say things respectfully. An I statement tells the other person how you are affected by the situation. And a good I statement doesn't blame or demand change. It's an objective news report on your internal state of affairs. It names the behaviour or the event, the resulting problem, how you feel and how you'd like it to be. I statements help you hold your ground, so use them when you need to raise difficulties that are affecting you personally. So, with an I statement, you own your own feelings. You give yourself the right to feel as you do and without blaming the other person for how you do feel. You don't want their outright rejection of what you're saying and the format minimises the other person's defensiveness. But if you hear back something like, you shouldn't feel like that, or you're stupid to be upset. Just confirm you're not blaming them. Taking responsibility for your feelings keeps you on target. But be careful, there's plenty of ways we put things in English that can trip us up. We'll say, she hurt my feelings. Can you hear the blame there? Your I statement reframe goes something like, I am feeling hurt. Or this might want to slip out of your mouth. He drives me mad. Again, can you hear? It reeks of blame. Own your own feelings with, I get mad when, or you're not listening. You don't know that they're not, but you do know I need to feel heard. In some circumstances, you might not want to talk about your feelings. Say in business, it's often best to stick to the facts and sound calm. So don't even imply blame there. Transform you're off track to could you connect this to the topic for me? Or you've overcharged me might transform to I think this charge is more than we agreed. An I statement is an opener to a conversation on a problem. Don't expect it to fix the problem immediately, but when it's appropriate to discuss it, it's a good beginning. You might need to work it up beforehand. It isn't always easy to extract all the blame, as we've been discussing it's ingrained in how we speak to each other. When you recognise that demands will trigger resistance in the other person, you just say what's true for you. You don't demand change, but you do want them to pay attention so you won't always be soft or nice as you deliver it. Just hold your intention to start a constructive conversation on the problem. Learn the principles and get those right. Once you're familiar with the I statement format, you will probably let go of this structure. It's a bit like a recipe for mixing cooking ingredients. I always start with a guide, so my first results will be palatable. 
So there are five ingredients. Firstly, the action, that is what happened. Secondly, my response, how that's affecting me. Thirdly, my preferred outcome is how I'd like it to be for me. Fourth is a constructive consequence. What's the benefit? And the fifth is an invitation to respond, followed by active listening. You won't always use all five of those ingredients. Just one or two of them might be enough. Or you might want to change their order or sprinkle them through the conversation. You'll find a written summary of I statements in the notes for this audio on the Conflict Resolution Network website. But here's how they work. Firstly, the action. It's a specific and objective description of the action or the situation that's causing you the problem. It's specific because you don't use generalizations. It's objective because you don't use blaming words to describe the issue. It's a factual description of what happened rather than your interpretation. It can serve the other person if they didn't understand what they were doing or how it affected you. For example, they might simply mean to emphasize something while you're cringing from them shouting at you. Here's some of the ways that you might rephrase your statement to reduce the chances of the other person becoming defensive, rising to the bait. When you leave me out of things, well, that's bait. Change it to when I'm not included in planning. And when you accuse me becomes when you say I did that, whatever it was. When we're angry with someone, it's quite a challenge to describe their behaviour objectively. So, if they leave their junk all over my desk, the problem for me is my papers get mixed up with theirs. If they keep interrupting me, my problem is I can't finish what I'm doing. That's your personal objective description. And if you're having trouble, at least start by owning it. When it seems to me when you rant and rave at me, could become when it seems to me that you are repeating your point loudly. The second ingredient in the I statement recipe is my response. People don't know how you're affected unless you tell them. They can underestimate how hurt or angry or put out you are. It's no good saying they ought to know. They don't necessarily. But when you explain how the issue has impacted you, they will usually reconsider their behaviour. Well, they might even apologise, so long as you haven't attacked them in the process. So that second ingredient, your response, might be either an emotion, I feel hurt, or angry, or helpless, or resentful, or guilty. Or it might be an action, I withdraw, I lose my train of thought, I scream at you. Or your response might even be your impulse, what you feel like doing. I feel like ignoring you. I want to walk out. I wish I could give up. Beware of statements like, I feel that you don't care about me. People may react badly and feel manipulated. Why? Well, I feel that you don't care about me is actually a you statement. You've just thinly disguised it as an I statement, and that won't do. It is your interpretation of them. Your response needs to be just about you. Get into your own space and report how it is inside you. 
When I think someone doesn't care about me, I actually feel alienated and disconnected from them, and rather alone, even lonely. I'd do better to report one of those feelings. Of course, it depends on the situation, whether you'll describe your response in terms of how you feel, what you do, or what you feel like doing. With a family member, it's important to share how you feel. That's intimacy. In a work situation, however, you might not want to tell your manager or your colleagues about your feelings. It may be culturally inappropriate, but it might be acceptable to describe the impact on your situation or on your job. We're still preparing those I statement ingredients. We've laid out the action, your response. So now for ingredient number three, my preferred outcome. That's not the solution. I statements don't tell about solutions. They tell about your preferred internal climate. At this point in your statement, you say what conditions you'd like to have or what you'd like to be able to do. For example, I need more help with the cleaning up rather than I'd like you to help me with the cleaning up. That's a you-should solution, and it invites resistance, the very thing we're trying to avoid. Your I statement invites the other person to join in coming up with solutions, so you too have to open up to the possibilities, otherwise they're not going to feel free to choose. And in fact, there are several ways you could get more help with cleaning up. One family member helps per night, or you all eat out more often, or you make a roster. Or maybe the other person that you're talking to does volunteer themselves. Give them the space to consider who could contribute and how. The fourth ingredient is a constructive consequence. This one's optional, but it does often help to sell the benefits of a change. So make it attractive. That way I won't be feeling so tired and cranky each night. Or... That way our team can be more effective. Lastly, ingredient number five, an invitation to respond. Always include this one. Remember, your I statement is just an opener. It needs to invite a two-way conversation. So you'll finish with something like, how would that be for you? Or is that okay for you? Or perhaps that's not what you intended? Sometimes you include a recipe variation. You might want to add your reasons, the because, the why it's a problem. Because I wake up and I can't get back to sleep. Or because I waste time looking for the papers I need. Or because I may not have the time to read the whole report. Try hard not to say things like, I get annoyed because I shouldn't have to do all the cleaning up. Or, I shouldn't have to wade through 30 pages to get to the point. That's not really a because statement. It's a judgment. Actually, it's a moral lecture. Okay, so those key principles you want to absorb. An I statement is an opener, not a resolver. And the best I statement is free of expectations. It delivers a clean, clear statement of your side of things and how you'd like it to be for you. And then you need to really listen to what the other person has to say. Perhaps you'll follow on with another I statement or part of one. 
You're giving and getting the information that you both need to develop options together. Oh, phew, that's a lot to take in. Let me tell you how Maria used this in her family. Maria had recently married. She and her husband John were both in their 40s and this was a second marriage for both of them. Before the marriage, Maria had been living with her ageing mother who was now alone. Back from their honeymoon, Maria and John were putting a lot of energy into renovating their new home and enjoying the relationship. And that meant that Maria was spending a lot less time with her mother. Then... Just when she really didn't want to have her new life pressured, her mother broke her arm and became very needy. Well, Maria's Italian upbringing stressed strong family values, but her brothers and sisters were getting on with their own lives, and her relationship with her mother had always been very special. She felt very conflicted, and she asked John what to do. She told him about all the issues for her siblings. Vince and his family live too far away. Franco's in America. Angela has three young children and lots of problems. And Liliana has just got a job and she needs the money with that lazy husband of hers. She thought it was pointless asking any of them. John talked her through her own options. Well, should Maria drop everything for her mother and they put the renovations aside for a while? Maybe they could pay someone to look after their mother which they could hardly afford? Or could she put some pressure on her brothers and sisters who ought to share this responsibility? Finally, he suggested that she could just discuss the situation with each of them without asking anything of them. Just listen and acknowledge their problems and stresses and leave them to think about what they could all do to help their mum right now. Maria told us how she contacted all her brothers and sisters, even Franco in America and she started each conversation with her prepared I statement. I'm worried that I won't be able to give Mum all the support she needs. She went on to explain the situation, and as expected, they all told her how hard it was for them right now. But she listened, though she felt a bit dumped on and defeated after all the calls, and she told John, Oh, well, at least I tried. But, Within the next few days, each member of Maria's family offered to do something. Vince promised to phone each weekend. Angela offered to call in on their mother in the early afternoons before she picked up the kids, and she'd bring in a bit of shopping. Liliana offered to take over some prepared meals. And her so-called lazy husband was willing to transport Mum to hospital for her treatments. He was a taxi driver, after all. Even Franco in America helped. He sent some money for a housekeeping service. Maria was not sure what had made the change, until later when Angela commented to her, You know, I felt like doing something this time, because you seemed to really care about me. This time you weren't judging my lifestyle, unlike the others. I felt needed and included in the family, and what we all had to work out. Maria's I statement had been an opener. She didn't know what would happen, but the response she said was more positive and more far-reaching than she'd been hoping for.
Check your intent. If your assertive communication is not well received, check and perhaps state your intent. You might say, look, I just want to fix this so that we can, say, really enjoy our night out. Generally, it's best to come clean with your underlying motivations. If you think that the I statement formula is going to make you sound stilted, just use your own words, but keep the principles in mind. You're not forcing them to fix things and you're not imposing your values or opinions. You're just letting them know to improve the relationship or the job. You can't predict how the other person will take your communication, so just focus on your intent and make very sure it's not to humiliate or to intimidate. Remember, for things to change, first, I must change. Even when you're furious, take a second to refresh your underlying goodwill towards the person. That's going to show up in your tone of voice. Sometimes the most important person that you're developing an I statement for is yourself. It's a way to examine what the problem behaviour really is and put any judgments about the other person off to one side. You might realise that the problem really isn't their behaviour. It's your reaction. And that would mean that there's something quite different that you'd prefer to say. Instead of being annoyed and expecting them to fix it, you're now looking squarely at your own need and what else you might do about that. As long as we're waiting for others to change, we're not taking charge of our lives. Also, don't expect to solve the problem straight away. The other person may not respond immediately or with the answer that you'd like. You've placed your issue on the table. Maybe there is no answer, but at least you're clear with each other. Relationships grow cold in a climate of undelivered communications. Sometimes it's best to stop pushing and warm up the empathy climate a little instead. It might need something like, I've said my piece, we both want the relationship to work, so let's agree to differ on this one. I statements do take practice. You can work them up just for yourself. It can be fun and very enlightening. The key to a good I statement is to make them so often that they become second nature. If you couldn't quite get your I statement out of your mouth or it didn't come out quite right, make another opportunity. Here are some examples. To your manager who's not giving you enough feedback. When I don't get your opinion on how I'm tackling the project, I feel unsure about what to do next. I'd value some feedback so that I know if I'm going in the right direction or if I need to make some adjustments. What about children who are too slow getting ready in the mornings? When I have to leave for work at 8.30 and you're not ready, I get really frustrated. I'd like us to work out ways to be more organised. That way we'll start our day better and I won't get cranky. Can we talk about it? All right. If you have the right to ask for your needs to be met, you need to give other people that same right too. But what if you want to refuse their request? It can be difficult to turn someone down, but it's better than saying yes and then being resentful or actually not doing it. That's not assertive. Know your limits and speak up for them. So if you need to turn someone down, apologise briefly and give an honest reason. 
not just an excuse, is an honest refusal to a dinner invitation. I'd love to have dinner with you, and tonight I desperately need some quiet time to myself. Could we make it another night? When you have too many demands on you, don't snap, don't grumble. Just explain briefly why you can't do it. I'd like to be able to do that, and at the moment I've got too many things on my plate so I can't do it now. Possibly check the deadline with them. When do you need it done by? Or perhaps offer a can-do alternative. What I can do, or I'm willing to do, is... At times, people might ask you to do something that just doesn't sit well with you ethically, or where you're not negotiable, not willing, or not interested. There are times when you're going to have to give them a very firm no. It's a moment to be clear and precise, firm, not furious. No, or no, I'm not willing to do that. And if no's not sufficient, give the reason. But don't ramble on. No, I don't want to move my office. I need to be near the accounts department. And if the person persists, just repeat your refusal like a broken record. No, I don't want to do that. No, I'm not able to. No, I intend to stay where I am. There will be times when your carefully worded, invitational I statements appear to fall on deaf ears. Hard line situations call for a tougher approach you may need to use your power to invoke a consequence confrontation. If you're a manager, you have the authority to dismiss the employee. If you're a parent, you might ban all devices for a while if your child continues to misbehave. And even if you're not in a direct power relationship, you have the ability to initiate some consequences if the behaviour warrants it. You could decide to leave the room, end a relationship, or make a formal complaint. When you're contemplating a major consequence, usually best to give a warning first. Confront the person and let them know what will happen if things don't change. That's still up to them. And your intention is to inform, not enforce. It goes like this. Give an objective description of the problem behaviour and talk about why it's such an issue. Go on to describe the change that you need. But don't ask for the impossible. The person should be capable of making that change. Then for your consequence confrontation, tell them what will happen if the change doesn't occur. It's not a threat, it's a result. The inevitable outcome if the other person doesn't contribute to solving the problem. Examples? To a young teenage son. When you came home from the party past your deadline, I was worried sick. I was contemplating calling the police. From now on, I really need you to be home on time or at least phone in. If this happens again, I will collect you from all future parties at 11pm until I think that you've matured enough to take the responsibility and respect my concern. To a team member. When you are late for meetings, we have to repeat information we've covered already to help you catch up. There are some sarcastic comments flying around, and I don't want my team talking that way. I also don't want them thinking that lateness is okay. Unless there's a major crisis, I need you to be on time for all future meetings. 
If you can't commit to that, I'll have to remove you from this project so that you're not expected at those meetings at all. The last part of any consequence confrontation is that immediately you switch to reflective listening, perhaps with, can you commit to that? Or how are you feeling about that? When you might hear an apology, a justification, or the person might be angry or upset. Without putting them out of your heart or being vindictive, you may need to tell them again the consequence they're facing. It's the required cost of their unwillingness to adapt their behaviour. Consequence confrontations are big moments in a relationship. You only make them to avoid a bigger crisis. Of course, you might offer a carrot before you resort to the stick. In other words, offer the person a positive consequence if they are willing to change, certainly gentler. If you come home on time from the next three parties, then we can extend your deadline an hour. If you prove to me that you can get your reports in on time, then I'll consider you for team leader. If you tell me when something I've done is upsetting you, then I promise that I will talk it through with you without shouting or storming off. Say you've delivered your perfect I statement and you've released a perfect storm. It happens. Your perfect I statement is not a guarantee that you'll be well received. Say it didn't go as planned and now the other person is shouting at you, perhaps swearing. Perhaps they're questioning your judgment or nagging or inferring that you're lying or describing your actions rudely. Oh, you might love to say, don't you dare say that to me, or don't call me an idiot, you're the one who's an idiot. It's satisfying in the moment, but it's not smart to retaliate like that. It certainly won't calm them. In fact, you've probably escalated the problem. You need to pull out more tools from your toolkit of skills. Assertive people know how to switch them around. They flow with the situation and they respond to its needs in the moment. Remember, when the other person is inflamed, they can't hear you. They want you to hear them. You'll need those empathy skills we've discussed in Episode 3 of really listening, particularly while they're so angry. It'll help them to calm down. And then grab for some win-win again, as we discussed in Episode 1. Stay on their side as well as your own. Include their perspective in whatever you say next rather than demolishing them. Keep heading towards positive change. This situation demands you turn crisis into opportunity. You want to transform this into a perfect storm. You'll need your creative response tools from Episode 3. If they continue to block you at every turn, Perhaps a touch more assertiveness is needed. Consider educating them on imminent consequences. If you do want my help, I need to be allowed to finish what I'm explaining to you. If they're questioning your judgment, they might say, You can't really believe that. While you respond, Yes, I do believe that. Sidestep that insinuation underneath. You're entitled to your beliefs. Or if they're implying that you're lying, they could say, oh, come on, you know, that's not how it happened. 
And you say, that is how it appeared to me. Did I miss something? How do you see it? Assert that it's your experience, but listen to their perspective too. If they're nagging, investigate the legitimate need underneath and respond to that. Take the emotion out of your voice and say, why are you repeating that? If they've got a deadline, tell them yours and ask how that will be for them. Perhaps they're being very rude about something you actually did wrong. And they say, you were completely irresponsible not to let me know. And your response, I accept that it was a mistake not to let you know. Acknowledge your own errors, take responsibility for the facts, and don't grovel. I learned that that didn't work. I'll do it differently next time. Focus on learning for the future and exploring options. Perhaps you might need to apologise for the impact of your error. Or if they tell you you're incompetent, you might respond, what specifically has happened? So you're getting precise on the issue that they've taken exception to. Or if they're missing crucial information to round out their picture, you might need to inform them. A made-up excuse probably won't work here. Fill them in with the truth. So, when they're being aggressive, whether it's out in the open or hidden under their words, know when to stop and really listen. Get clear on the specifics of their actual need, add missing information, and apologise when it's necessary. Stick with win-win and include their objections. And focus on the future and positive change. Here's the summary of this session on assertiveness. Start off by getting centred. Stay connected and respectful. Take a moment to refresh your underlying goodwill and don't put the other person out of your heart. Be proactive, not reactive, so address discomforts and issues before they escalate. And speak up from your perspective when you disagree. You're adding your view to make a whole picture. Say how it is for you, not what the other person ought to do. You're not forcing them to fix things. You're not imposing your values or opinions. Practice clean, clear and concise I statements. Invite replies in a way that helps others to respond and not react. When you must refuse, be clear and precise, firm, not furious. And when they're being aggressive, pull out all your conflict resolution skills. Listen, include rather than dismiss their objections, and keep moving the conversation towards positive change. Assertiveness is about respecting yourself and improving the situation. It's not about proving you're right. If you'd like more details on all of this, have a look at our website at Conflict Resolution Network. Our headquarters are at crnhq.org. You can download a transcript and explore extra study materials on I statements. And there's a free manual for trainers there too. Being assertive appropriately is not about using our power over the other person. It's about us sharing power with them. There's a lot to say on this, so join me for our next skill, cooperative power. <laughs>